I'd like to read a uh, brief passage from the Bonfire of the Vanities that many of my confidants and a couple of editors uh, suggested that I not include in the novel on the grounds that it did nothing to further the plot uh, and did not enlarge our comprehension of any of the major uh, characters. But I couldn't resist including it all the same because it, to my way of thinking, was such a perfect example of a kind of eccentric desperation uh, that makes up so much of New York life, uh, some of it farcical and some of it uh, uh, a bit sad. And this is a, it was my attempt to present a, I think what is the least known part of the criminal justice process, namely the calendar session. Uh, I'll never forget a young ad assistant district attorney in the Bronx telling me, he said, why is it that every time I turn on t a television set and watch a courtroom drama, a trial is in progress? He said, what do trials have to do with anything? He said, here in the Bronx we have 40,000 uh, criminal arrests every year. They yield 7,000 felony indictments. Uh, we have the capacity with 40 courtrooms running uh, full tilt five days a week to have 500 trials in the course of a year. So that leaves 6,500 cases to be disposed of either through dismissals and not even a grotesque cynic uh, would, go, would, would sit around dismissing cases all day long, or plea, plea bargains. Uh, and suddenly it dawned on me, and, and I think it will on anybody who, who sits in on the, on the criminal courts in this city for very long, that the great work of the, of the system goes on in these calendar sessions in this strange ceremony known as plea bargaining. And I, had, and I don't pretend that my reading is all embracing, but I had never seen a plea bargaining session uh, in a calendar uh, part of our criminal courts uh, uh, described. So I decided to take the plunge. Um, the door to the courtroom swung open, and in walked an old man with a large, florid, rather lordly head. Debonair, that was the word. Or at least he was debonair by the standards of the Bronx County Courthouse. He wore a navy blue double-breasted pinstripe suit, a white shirt with a starch collar, and a dark red necktie. His black hair, which was thin and had the inky dullness of a dye job, was combed straight back and plastered down on his skull. He had an old-fashioned pencil mustache, creating a sharp black line on either side of the gully under his nose. Larry Kramer, who was standing near the clerk's desk, looked up and stared. He knew the man. There was something charming, no brave, about his style. At the same time, it made you shiver. This man had once been, as Kramer now was, an assistant district attorney. Bing, 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 30 years had gone by. And here he was finishing out his career in private practice, representing these poor incompetents, including the 18Bs, the, one who couldn't, the ones who couldn't afford lawyers. Bing, 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 not a very long time, 30 years. Larry Kramer wasn't the only one who stopped and stared. The man's entrance was an event. His chin was the shape of a melon. He held it cocked up at a self-satisfied angle as if he were a boulevardier, as if the grand concourse could still be called a boulevard. Mr. Sonnenberg, the old lawyer uh, t uh, t looked towards Judge Kovetsky. He seemed pleasantly surprised that his arrival should occasion such a hearty greeting. We called your case five minutes ago. I apologize, Your Honor, said Sonnenberg, um, uh, sauntering up to the defendant's desk. He swung his great chin upward in an elegant arc toward the judge. I was held over in Part 62 by Judge Melnick. What are you doing with a case in Part 62 when you knew this court was putting you at the top of the calendar as a personal accommodation? Your client, Mr. Lockwood, has a job, as I recall. That's correct, Your Honor, but I was assured. Your client is here. I know. He's waiting for you. 
I'm aware of that, Your Honor, but I had no idea that Judge Melnick. All right, Mr. Sonnenberg, are you ready to proceed now? Yes, Your Honor. Kavitsky had the clerk, Buzzielli, recall, recall the case. The black youth, Lockwood, got up from the spectator section and came pimp rolling up to the defendant's desk beside Sonnenberg. It soon became apparent that the purpose of this hearing was to allow Lockwood to plead guilty to the charge, which was armed robbery, in return for a light sentence, two to six years, offered by the district attorney's office. But Lockwood wasn't going for it. All that Sonnenberg could do was reiterate his client's plea of not guilty. Kavitsky said, Mr. Sonnenberg, would you approach the bench, please? And Mr. Torres? Torres was the assistant district attorney on the case. He was short and quite fat, even though he was barely 30 years old. He had the sort of mustache that young lawyers and doctors wear to try to look older and graver. As Sonnenberg drew near, Kavitsky said in an amiable conversational tone, you, like, you, you look just like David Niven today, Mr. Sonnenberg. <laughs> oh, no, Judge, said Sonnenberg. David Niven, I'm not. William Powell, maybe, but not David Niven. <laughs> William Powell, you're dating yourself, Mr. Sonnenberg. You're not that old, are you? Kavitsky turned to Torres and said, the next thing we know, Mr. Sonnenberg's going to be leaving us for the Sun Belt. He's going to be down there in a condominium, and, he'll, and, he'll have to, and all he'll have to worry about is getting to the shopping mall in time for the early bird special at Denny's. He won't even have to think about getting up in the morning and making pleas in Part 60 in the Bronx. Listen, Judge, I swear, Mr. Sonnenberg, do you know Mr. Torres? Oh, yes. Well, Mr. Torres understands about condominiums and early bird specials. He's half a yiddler himself. Yeah? Sonnenberg didn't know whether he was supposed to appear pleased or what. <laughs> yeah, he's half a Puerto Rican and half a yiddler, right, Mr. Torres? Torres smiled and shrugged, trying to appear appropriately amused. So he used his Yiddish cop and applied for a minority scholarship to law school, said Kavitsky. His Yiddish half applied for a minority scholarship for his Puerto Rican half. Is that one world or isn't it? It's using your fucking cop anyway. Kavitsky looked at Sonnenberg until he smiled, and then he looked at Torres until he smiled, and then Kavitsky beamed at both of them. Why had he turned so jolly all of a sudden? Kramer looked over at the defendant, Lockwood. He was standing at the defendant's table and staring at this jolly threesome. What must be going through his mind? His fingertips rested on the table, and his chest seemed to have caved in. His eyes, his eyes were the eyes of the hunted in the night. He stared at the spectacle of his lawyer grinning and chuckling with the judge and the prosecutor. There he was, his white lawyer, smiling and jabbering with the white judge and with the white fat prick who was uh, trying to put him away. Sonnenberg and Torres were both standing at the bench, looking up at Kavitsky. Now Kavitsky got down to work. What have you offered him, Mr. Torres? Two to six, Judge. What's your client say, Mr. Sonnenberg? He won't take it, Judge. I talked to him last week, and I talked to him this morning. He wants to go to trial. Why, said Kavitsky. Did you explain to him that he'll be eligible for work release in a year? It's not a bad deal. Well, said Sonnenberg, the problem is, as Mr. Torres knows, my client's a Y.O. That one was for the same thing, armed robbery. And if he pleads guilty to this one, then he's got to serve the time for that one, too. Ah, said Kavitsky. What will he take? He'll take one and he'll take one and uh, one and a half to four and a half, with the sentence for the first one subsumed under this one. What about it, Mr. Torres? The young assistant district attorney sucked in his breath and lowered his eyes and shook his head. I can't do it, Judge. We're talking about armed robbery. Yeah, I know, said Kavitsky, but was he the one with the gun? No, said Torres. Kavitsky lifted his eyes from the faces of Sonnenberg and Torres and looked out at Lockwood. He doesn't look like a bad kid, said Kavitsky, for Torres' benefit. In fact, he looks like a baby. I see these kids in here every day. They're easily led. They live in some kind of shit-hook neighborhood, and they end up doing stupid things. What's he like, Mr. Sonnenberg? Well, that's about the size of it, Judge, said Sonnenberg. The kid's a follower. He's no brain surgeon, but he's no hard case either. Not in my opinion. 
This personality profile was evidently supposed to wear Torres down into offering Lockwood a sentence of only one and a third to four years, with his Y.O. conviction in effect forgot Y.O. stood for youthful offender. Look, Judge, it's no use, Torres said. I can't do it. Two to six is as low as I can go. My office, why don't you call Frank, asked Kavitsky. It's no use, Judge. We're talking about armed robbery. He may not have held a, a gun on the victim, but that was because he was going through his pockets with both hands. <laughs> a 69-year-old man with a stroke walks like this. Torres did a shuffle out in front of the bench, gimping along like an old man with a stroke. Kavitsky smiled. That's a yiddler coming out. Mr. Torres had some of Ted Lewis's chromosomes, and he doesn't even know it. Ted Lewis was Jewish, asked Sonnenberg. <laughs> Why not, said Kavitsky. He was a comedian, wasn't he? Okay, Mr. Torres, calm down. Torres came back to the bench. Uh, the victim, Mr. Borsellino, says he broke a rib. We're not even charging him with that because the old man never went to see a doctor about the rib. No, two to six is it. Kavitsky thought that over. Did you explain that to your client? Sure I did, said Sonnenberg. He shrugged and made a face as if to say his client wouldn't listen to reason. He's willing to take his chances. Take his chances, said Kavitsky, but he signed a confession. Sonnenberg made it the face again and arched his eyebrows. Kavitsky said, let me talk to him. Sonnenberg screwed up his lips and rolled his eyes as if to say, good luck. Kavitsky looked up again and stared at Lockwood and stuck his chin up in the air and said, son, come here. The boy stood at the table, frozen, not altogether sure the judge was talking to him and not to somebody else. So Kavitsky put on a smile, the smile of the benevolent leader, he who is willing to be patient. And he beckoned with his right hand and said, come on up here, son, I want to talk to you. The boy Lockwood started walking slowly, warily, up to where Sonnenberg and Torres were standing and looked at Kavitsky. The look he gave him was completely empty. Kavitsky stared back. It was like looking at a small, empty house at night with all the lights out. <laughs> Son, said Kavitsky, you don't look like a bad sort to me. You look like a nice young man. Now I, give you, I want you to give yourself a chance. I'll give you a chance, but first you've got to give yourself a chance. Then Kavitsky stared into Lockwood's eyes as if what he was about to say was one of the most important things he was likely to hear in his lifetime. Son, he said, what do you want to get involved in all these fucking robberies for? Lockwood's lips moved, but he fought the impulse to say anything, perhaps for fear that he might incriminate himself. What does your mother say? You live with your mother? Lockwood nodded yes. What does your mother say? She ever hit you upside the head? No, said Lockwood. His eyes appeared misty. Kavitsky took this as a sign that he was making progress. Now, son, he said, do you have a job? Lockwood nodded yes. What do you do? Security guard. <laughs> um, security guard, said Kavitsky. He stared off at a blank spot on the wall as if pondering the, the implication for society of that answer and then decided to stick to the issue at hand. <laughs> C said, Kavitsky, you've got a job, you've got a home, you're young, you're a nice-looking, bright young man. You've got a lot going for you. You've got more than most people. But you've got one big problem to overcome. You've been involved in these fucking robberies. <laughs> <laughs> now, the district attorney has made you an offer of two to six years. If you take that offer and you behave yourself, this will all be behind you in no time and you'll still be a young man with your whole life ahead of you. If you go to trial and you're convicted, you could get 8 to 25. Now think about that. The district attorney has made you an offer. Lockwood said nothing. Why don't you take it, asked Kavitsky. No reason. No reason? Lockwood looked away. He wasn't going to parry words. He was just going to hold tight. Look, son, said Kavitsky, I'm trying to help you. This thing won't go away. You can't just close your eyes and hope it's all going to disappear. Do you understand what I'm saying? Lockwood kept looking down or to the side, always a few inches away from eye contact with the judge. Kavitsky kept moving his head as if to intercept him, like a hockey goalie. Look at me, son. Do you understand? Lockwood gave in and looked at him. It was a sort of look a firing squad might expect to see. Now, son, think of it this way. It's like having cancer. You know about cancer. 
There wasn't a glimmer of comprehension of cancer or anything else. <laughs> cancer doesn't just go away either. You have to do something about it. If you catch it early while it's small, before it spreads through your whole body and takes over your whole life and ruins your life and ends your life, do you understand? Ends your life. If you do something about it while it's, a, while it's a small problem, if you have the small operation you need, then that's it. Stravinsky threw his hands up in the air and lifted his chin and smiled as if he were the very personification of buoyancy. And that's the same way as the problem you have now. Right now it's a small problem. If you plead guilty and receive a sentence of two to six years and you behave yourself, you'll be eligible for a work release program after one year and full parole after two years. And it'll all be behind you. But if you go to trial and you're found guilty, then your minimum sentence will be eight years. Eight and a third to 25. Eight. You're only 19 now. Eight years. That's almost half as long as you've been on this earth. You want to spend your whole fucking youth in jail? Lockwood averted his eyes. He didn't say one thing or the other. So how about it? Asked Stravinsky. Without looking up, Lockwood shook his head no. All right, if you're innocent, I don't want you to plead guilty, no matter what anybody offers. But you signed a confession. The district attorney has a videotape of you making that confession. What are you going to do about that? I don't know, said Lockwood. <laughs> what does your attorney say? I don't know. Come on, son, of course you know. You have an excellent attorney. He's one of the best, Mr. Sonnenberg is. He has a lot of experience. You listen to him. He'll tell you I'm right. This thing isn't going away. Isn't going to go away any more than cancer's going to go away. Lockwood kept looking down. Whatever his lawyer and the judge and the DA had cooked up, he wasn't buying it. Look, son, said Travitsky, talk it over some more with your attorney. Talk it over with your mother. What does your mother say? Lockwood looked up with live hatred. Tears began to form in his eyes. It was a very touching...